0: If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open them with me this morning to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can follow along as you've been doing, many of you, with the screen in front of you. The passage that we're looking at uh, will be there for you. Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I know I speak for many when I say that. It's one. Uh, that is immensely theological and also immensely practical for the Christian life. And of course, that's what uh, theology is for. Theology and good teaching and doctrine is for uh, good life and good living. We'd be enified by any portion of Ephesians this morning, but I want to specifically look at chapter two. And some of you know chapter two well. It begins with a very familiar uh, phrase, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, living for the passions of the flesh, and then these wonderful, glorious two words, but God, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, saved us and, and seated us in the heavenly realms. That's the first part of chapter two. But that's not the extent, the full extent of the good news that Jesus brings or that Paul proclaims in this letter to the church in Ephesus. There's so much more that comes specifically to us as the church, as one people, and that's the message that I want us to hear this morning. That is why we are in the latter half of Ephesians chapter 2. We're not going to be able to unpack all of this in detail this morning, uh, but I want us to at least consider it for a few moments and consider some of the big themes. I invite you to give your attention as I read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through the end of the chapter, verse 22. Listen, this is God's word. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing thereby the, histo- the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I don't have to tell you, unless you've had your head in the sand this past week, that it's been quite a week here in our nation. On top of the strain and the differing political opinions and scientific opinions of COVID-19 and our government's subsequent response to it, comes the anger and the, the frustration over the death of George Floyd and the resulting protests and riots and looting and and our government's response to that. Maybe more than ever in our lifetimes, at least some of us, certainly more than in recent years, though this has been building, we are a divided people. And not just as Americans, but as christians believe me i've heard the opinions uh, about both issues both sides particularly of course there's this tension between the black and white community in our nation a hostility that has existed for many years one that has a long history we could list a number of incidences i just remember when i was graduating from high school in 1992 and the LA riots that followed the acquittal of the officers who used excessive force with, with Rodney King and some of you remember that, it was awful. Before it was all over, 53 people had died, 2,000 2, people were injured, 7,000 fires had been lit, an estimated $1 billion in damage and, and lost revenue. I bring all this up because this divide between black and white, between these two communities around us, particularly at this cultural moment, is probably the closest we'll get to understanding the context that Paul is writing into in this letter, and specifically in chapter two of Ephesians which is why this is exactly, I think, where our hearts need to be this morning because as we see and as we feel this, we also hear, at least I want us to hear, Paul's message of hope, his way forward, more importantly, God's way forward. You see, Paul writes to a church a first century church that is composed of, of mixed races. It's first contains the Jews. Theirs was a rich history of, of characters and stories, acts of redemption and prophecies. A story that ultimately resulted in the coming of the Messiah, their Messiah, their long awaited one. But as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he writes also to Gentiles, Gentiles being this this catch-all term that includes all those who are not part of the Jewish race. So these nationalities and origins would have all been varied, but one thing was clear, Gentiles were not Jews, And so Paul writes into this situation, he writes into this context with a radical new vision, with God's vision of what we should be, both then and today. And so I want to put it before you for the next few minutes with just two simple truths for us to remember and and meditate on and think about. It begins here. Jesus breaks down the walls that divide us. Jesus breaks down the walls that divide us. Ever since the day when sin entered the Garden of Eden, we as humans have not been good at loving one another. It's been a struggle. We are full of pride. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And God's own people, struggle with this. Israel as a nation struggled with this, particularly with this God-ordained distinction between them as Israel and everybody else. God had chosen them from among all other nations. He had set his favor on them to make his name known and great in them and among them. And so theirs was this privileged status before the Lord, Before the one true God. And now suddenly Paul is is writing to Jews and Gentiles. And so here in this letter Paul, Paul speaks to this and he reminds specifically the Gentiles listening of what they once were. In reminding the Gentiles of what they were he also reminds the Jews of what once was exclusively theirs but now no longer look back with me just at verse 12 the phrase separated from christ notice paul doesn't use the, the word jesus he says separated from christ he uses the new testament term for messiah the anointed one this jewish term What the Gentiles were separate from was not necessarily the physical, earthly presence of Jesus when he walked around the earth, but the hope of the Messiah, the anticipation of the one that was coming who would make things right. This this hope of Israel was not a blind hope. It was a certain hope, a hope that would carry them through difficulty, and the Gentiles didn't have it. They were separated from Christ. And then he goes on, he says, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. It, Israel was literally one nation under God. It was a theocracy. It was a people ruled by God, one who had proved himself faithful again and again and again, one who had shown himself strong in their history again and again. They were ruled by divine commands that set them apart from all the nations and protected them as a people, right? The Lord said, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And with that covenant came the promise of redemption, the promise of, of blessing. But not so, the Gentiles. The Gentiles had lived without such revelation, without such purpose, without such promise. And all of this culminates in, In the fact that as Paul states in our passage, they were, they being the Gentiles, they were without hope and without God in the world. You see, the Gentiles were not just disadvantaged. As a people, they had no future. It's not as if an individual Gentile couldn't, couldn't come to Yahweh, Israel's God, couldn't come to worship Him. No, we actually have Old Testament instances of, of non-Jews coming and being part of the worship of Yahweh. But if they did come to Yahweh, they essentially had to become a Jew. They had to adhere to all the rituals, all the cleansings, all the festivals, everything that was part of Jewish history and tradition. And even in doing that, there still wasn't a quality And this was seen by the literal wall that separated them, the two people groups in the temple. And and Paul hints at this in this passage when he speaks of this language of being brought near. See, the temple was the the focal point of worship for the nation of Israel. The place of sacrifice, the place of renewal, the place of, of God's presence and meeting with his people. At the very center of the temple was the Holy of Holies where only the priests could go in at the appointed time and then s- circling out from that were a series of courts. The, courts. the court of the priests where the altar of burnt offering was. The court of men, those who were Israelite men. And then beyond that, the court of women. And then 14 steps down from that divided by a wall was the court of the Gentiles. You see, as Paul declares unity in the church here in this passage, he calls the Gentiles to remember what they didn't have, but he's also speaking to the Jews. For many Jews had let this privilege go to their heads. But Paul says, everything has changed with Jesus. Everything has changed with the good news. Verse 13 is the hinge. Two words, but Now, but now, all these things were true, but now, Jesus breaks down the walls that divide us. And so Paul proclaims to the church that the distinction between Jew and Gentile before God didn't matter anymore. That through the work of Jesus, through the union of those who look to him in faith, the two are made one, and there is now Peace. that chasm that existed, the animosity between these ethnicities, the wall, the literal wall and the figurative wall between them is gone. There is a leveling at the cross. That was the first century message. What's the message for us in 2020? It's no different for us. But let's press into how Jesus does this. How does Jesus break down the walls that exist between us? Well, he does it not through his rhetoric, not through his example. It happened when the veil was torn. You see, peace between us comes only after peace with God has been achieved. When Jesus was here on earth, as he was being crucified unjustly, hanging on a Roman cross of execution, The scene unfolds like this. Let me read something out of the gospel accounts. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, the tombs were open. The centurion who was there says, truly this was the son of God. Now what was happening there? The curtain separating God from his people was torn because it represented the separation between God and man, a separation that now no longer exists because of Jesus' death. So Jesus breaks down the walls that divide us because, and this is the truth, the second truth, because Jesus is our peace with God. Because Jesus is our peace with God and with one another. I remember in 1992, Rodney King came out in the media and he said this phrase, why can't we all just get along? Hoping to calm some of the frustration, some of the anger, some of the destruction. Can we all just get along, he said. Well, it's not so simple, is it? Let me underscore this. The problem for the Jew and Gentile, for white and black, Democrat and Republican, for every one of you listening, is not that you lack some technique for loving, for getting along with one another. It's not just our institutions by themselves. It's not just a matter of law and policy. It's the hearts of men behind all of those things. It's our own hearts. So our problem, first of all, is we need peace with our Creator. And Jesus came and on that cross took God's wrath for our sin, for our pride, for our selfishness. He dealt with the hostility by making Him hostile towards His Father. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God and then as this fundamental peace is achieved through Jesus, it now trickles down to all who have experienced it and vertical peace becomes horizontal peace. It has to become horizontal peace And that's the point that Paul is trying to remind the church of in Ephesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to press into our hearts. Yes, our differences, our histories, the wounds, they're too great. They're insurmountable. But in Jesus, there can be peace. In Jesus, the walls can be broken down. once you've experienced yourself, the reality of being leveled at the cross, boy, it's hard to, to level others. Brothers and sisters, we, we live in a world of divisions, of hostility and tensions. We've got east and west and north and south and liberal and conservative and white and black and Democrat and Republican and COVID enthusiast and COVID denier. We've got it all. But more than any policy change, we need Jesus. And we, everyone listening, we need to be the church. This new people that God is collecting and creating histories and hatreds, he's gathering them into one grand God-ordained picture of peace. And this unity, this unity of a people is central to our mission. Jesus prayed earnestly for it, that we would be one, that the world would see that we are one. And as we look at the cross and as we remember that Jesus has made peace for us with God, there can be no pride. There can be no entitlement. There's no room for unnecessary divisions. And I feel compelled to say this. We need to guard our hearts against giving exaggerated importance to those things which are secondary Things which, as Paul says in Corinthians, are not a matter of first importance. The unity of the church across racial and generational and socioeconomic lines creates a cultural, countercultural entity that is made, it's designed to make the world scratch its head and wonder. I wrestled with this sermon, with this passage, which how this message would be perceived. But friends, I don't think it's oversimplistic to say that Jesus is the answer to our inequality. If the gospel The work of Jesus was powerful enough to unite Jew and Gentile. This this distinction, remember, that was a God-ordained distinction. Surely it's powerful enough to unite our arbitrary ways that we separate ourselves. You see, ultimately, Jesus is enough. Ultimately, Jesus is the only way. And so amidst a host of other things you could be doing. And I don't want to squelch or discourage anything that you feel like the Lord has called you to to do in this cultural moment. But this I know, we need to be the church. We need to pray. We need to not let anything divide us, whether it be skin color whether it be political stance. We need to call our world to this Jesus. There's a host of encouragement that Paul gives in the latter half of his letter, but let me just read a couple verses from chapter four, verses 31 and 32, where he says to the church later in this letter that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Also, with all malice, be kind to one another, tender hearted. How? Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We have peace with our God. Let's believe that and let that peace create peace with those around us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, this passage and this tension that existed for literally centuries, Jew and Gentile, speaks, speaks to us and it speaks to our day. And I pray that we, as the church, as your people, that we would live in light of these realities, in light of the gospel, and in light of what that means for the way we treat those around us, for the way we treat those, that are, those things that are of secondary importance. Father, we know that the evil one, the enemy, wants to divide and distract And put us in all these little camps so that we're a mess. Who would want to join a people? Who would want to unite under that kind of Lord? Father, unite us, I pray. Use us to bring bring peace, to proclaim the Prince of Peace. This I pray in that great name, the name of Jesus, amen.